0: Welcome to I Love My Club By, with me, your host, Seamus Barry, the podcast that gives you the insight into our local games of hurling and camogie. Join us as we take a look at some of the characters around the county on I Love My Club By. Hi, and welcome to I Love My Club By, the podcast that brings you closer to our local games in both camogie and hurling. I'm delighted to say this week I have the smiling assassin from Liz Moore, the shot stopper, Shawnee Barry. Uh, Shawnee, how are you? Good, Seamus. And yourself? I'm not too bad now. You know, it's a middle of the week pre-season, everything is starting to build back up. It's a, a good time of the year we're seeing a stretch in the evenings. I suppose we'll go with your introduction, the the smiling assassin. I don't think I've ever come across you not smiling. Are you a positive person in general?
1: Yeah, I suppose I would be, but uh, I have my moments as well. <laughs> um I know Jesus, I suppose ninety percent of the time I would be would be fairly positive and smiling as much as possible, I suppose. Um yeah, I don't know about the smiling assassin now, but uh, a lot of lads, I suppose, from the club would probably know me for having a couple of uh, outbursts, I suppose, during the year as well. Like so.
0: Well, I can uh, I can certainly say I've I've been uh, doing umpire the last couple of years um, with a, an official, and I've been there when you're on the goal, and you you're you have uh, a few outbursts, all right, in your your locker. I'll give you that. Um. We'll look at Liz Moore. When when did you first start playing with Liz Moore? Or was it something that was in the family? Of course, you have your, your brother who's anonymous in Watford, or synonymous, sorry, I should say, in Watford, Ireland, especially the club scene as well in recent years. Was it something that was always in the family or did you go
1: to the field yourself? Uh, well, um, a lot of people would know and a lot of people wouldn't know, I suppose. Um We actually went to primary school in Tallow. Um, so... It's kind of a <laughs> a touchy subject, I suppose, <laughs> in a way. Like, but um, uh, I know we played um a couple of years underage with Coach Breed, so joined Tallow and Shamrock's year. Like, so um, when I was under thirteen, um, I would have made the move over to Lismore. Uh, my father would have played underage with with Lismore up to a certain age, and. Yeah, myself, uh, Ray and Steve, the oldest brother, uh, we moved over at that stage, like, and from then on, I suppose we were, were fully involved with Liz Moore, uh, from underage all the way up to senior level. Like, so
0: and did you did you get much feedback? You know, like you said, you moved across when you were 13. Did you get much feedback or did you ever have any hassle? Because obviously the GA is very tribal and you know, you see it within Waterford with a club a player transfers to another club. Did you ever get any negative feedback or was it all kind of, you know, positive because you were so young?
1: Ah, well, I suppose there would have been uh, a bit of both, I suppose, like. Um, See, at the time, none of us would have been involved with um, Water of any age group, like, so I kind of felt at the time it didn't really matter. Um, But then, obviously, as you get older and you start getting into, say, the adult team with Liz Moore and you're playing against, I suppose, fellas that you were in primary school with um but i like uh, it's it, it's nothing really that that kind of concerned any of us really like it's only just if you ended up playing tallow in championship games yeah, there'd be a bit of how would you say i wouldn't say a banter like but a bit, a bit of uh a bit of sledge i suppose yeah in a way like but uh, nothing that i'd be too concerned about like but like i've i have a lot of good friends over in tallow and still do like you know um, we actually grew up beside um, Tommy Ryan. We would have been neighbours growing up. like So we spent a lot of summers, I'd say, nearly every day of the summer inside in his garden playing hurling. Like, so You know, like that. that was probably where we started first, um, underage, I suppose, inside in his garden. And how I actually started playing in goal itself was uh, in primary school. Tommy's sister, Rachel, would have been the one driving to hurling in the primary school at the time. And um I would have been two or three years, say, under the age of my eldest brother Stevie, like so they were looking for a goalkeeper at the time for primary school hurling. So I kind of got shafted into goal at that stage and never again came out of it, like so it was probably down to Rachel Ryan, uh in a way for <laughs> putting me into the goal like so yeah. And it,
0: in that in recent years, obviously the the Barry name with goalkeeping down my part of the woods is very famous of course and yes a yes. similar thing happened to me of course my uncle Ray won in all Ireland in, in uh, 1992 at under 21 and from yeah, the yeah. minute I started playing hurling I was put on goal purely because of him and I would have played three years ahead of me under 21 and minor we lost a few finals to yeah. Barry Gunner and that do you think the game since you you transitioned into goal when you were younger to now like, you see Stephen O'Keefe and how he controls the game. Do you think the keeper's role has changed?
1: Oh, Jesus, Seamus. There's absolutely no comparison, I suppose. And that's only, saying my short time, I suppose, playing the goal. like, But even from the likes of my own, say, clubmate uh, Brendan Landers, like, say, from when he was playing the goal, like, up until now even, like, the, there's no comparison whatsoever, like, I don't think. Um, like, you mentioned uh, Saki there, like... Uh, it's more or less like a quarterback now in American football, like the way goalkeepers now control the game, the tempo of the game, puckouts. You know, just even organizing, you know, your defense and organizing around in general. like in a you know, sense. yeah, like you come up and if you look at any stats in any game, that's another big thing. Like you know, puckouts won, puckouts lost, but like the goalkeeper actually has probably the most possessions in any game. So it's. It's probably one of the most important positions at the moment and probably will be for the future as well. Like, so, um. with,
0: with, like, with that, you're saying obviously you're like a quarterback and you touched on the statistics for the puckouts. Do you feel sometimes keepers get an unfair rap in a sense of if you have a half forward line and they're not winning the puckout, say you go back training the following Tuesday and the manager pulls you aside and says, Look, Shawnee, we only won 40% for our puckouts. Sometimes you can only put so much or do so much on a plate for a player. Do you think sometimes these keepers are looked at too much or over analytical on their performance?
1: Uh in a way, yeah, you could agree with it. But I suppose, like when you're when you're in the position of goalkeeping, I suppose you know you're a lone ranger, really. Like, you know what I mean? You're not you're not marking anybody. You're there by yourself. Like, you know, it can be a lonely place at times. I suppose you could say that. But um, yeah, like if. You'd have to really get video analysis to look into say, were my puckouts at the fault of only winning forty percent, or could they have been put up to 70% if the lads out the field were you know winning prime possession, like or was it a miss hit puckout? You know, there's a lot to it. And I feel now there's more emphasis on it you know, than there ever was because of the amount of positions that say the goalkeeper has in say sixty, seventy minutes, like, you know. So I don't know. I suppose it worked both ways. Like, you know, you'd you have to look at say the goalkeeper, is his pokeouts accurate enough? Are they going to where they're supposed to be going? And then you have to flip it over at the lads in midfield, the half back line, half forward and a day at fault for not winning primary position, I suppose, is what you could you know, there. are probably two things that you have to look at when you were analyzing it. So it and kind of works both ways, I suppose. Yeah, when when you are coming up then, obviously, given the opposition, the the county.
0: The county championship is obviously an open draw, so you can play anybody. And um, when you're coming up against different teams, would you look into their penalty takers or would you potentially look at, say, if you're playing Ballygunner, for example, and you knew Desi was going to be playing, like Desi's an awesome finisher or you mentioned the the famous Tommy Ryan who's known as a prankster on Waterford on Waterford squads <laughs> very famous for his uh, phone calls will we say but um, like to, Tommy's in a he's a fabulous finisher as well uh, in my own club Thomas Connors of course Thomas is a yeah, serious yeah. man for a goal do you look into players or do you just try play with some front
1: of you I suppose uh, the club scene I I'd say is probably within reason. Um, you know you're you're playing against different teams every year. You know you mightn't ne- necessarily be in the same group as say the year before, or you know it's very hard to, you know, to to analyse like a club player as it is with inter county players. Like you know, like obviously the big names say I'm sure teams that play against this more would have their homework done on Morris, mm-hmm. who hits the penalties and frees for us. Uh, vice versa, say the likes of Stephen Bennett with Belly Sager or. Paulie men, you Gunner. or you know, like it's it's nearly easier to to find clips of them hitting penalties, you know, because they're involved in the inter-county scene, you know, a lot more. Whereas, you know, um, well, I suppose over the last twelve months, I suppose with the the, the club games being uh, videoed, is um, you know, it, it does make a, a a difference that you can actually get access to the two the games, like you know, you can see them uh, live. But no, I think fair. It's one of the the bigger intercounty names like you'd find you'd you'd struggle to to really find you know Data video in the clips sense. Yeah. Trees, like you know yeah such like but um on the day i suppose with the club uh my own personal experience i kind of just play with what's in front of me like so
0: and then obviously keepers are becoming more and more known for scoring nowadays like you see owen murphy who's ridiculous stats for kilkenny Um, you also have uh, Quaid with Limerick Mark Fannin I think scored something like three ten in the Wexford Championship last year we we actually played him in a challenge match and he scored against us in in the field in Passage do you think like you've seen in the football recently uh, the Monaghan keeper I think his name he went up and he scored a point from play Um, the keepers, the sweeper keeper as it's called if a keeper pushes out you know when an attack is up the other end of the field and the ball comes loose especially if a team are playing a sweeper like they're looking, teams are looking at keepers to be able to score nowadays, which seems to be another uh, contribution they can make. Is that something like you'd ever say, geez, if I get a ball 90 yards out or 100 yards, I could not really put that over, especially in far field with a bit of wind down into the,
1: the river, though, as they call it? Um, yeah, I suppose like it would be something that I'd really be looking into doing. Um, but obviously, in most recent years, like uh, things have changed that you see with defense. Before, it was break the tackle, clear the ball. Whereas now, it's nearly, you know, your keepers behind you move outside the goals and it's another option as a pass rather than just dumping it back up the field. You know, give it back to the keeper. The keeper probably has 10, 15 yards before a corner forward even gets near him. Like, you know, has a a clear view at what's in front of him, I suppose. But, I don't know, you, you look on the flip side of it then and you come too far outside the goal and the play breaks down. Like, the slitter travels obviously a lot quicker than a a Gaelic football would and obviously players nowadays club and intercounty, are way more accurate than what they used to be the balls fly a lot quicker like you know so like if I misplace the pass or whatever outside my goal I like can be 45 yards away from the goal and all it takes is one strike of the ball it's inside the back of the net like you know and you're the the biggest I suppose whatever word you put on yourself like you know for doing it
0: you and, know, and with so. with that you said like the two points I'll touch on there you said earlier the goal and I've I've played it. it can be a very lonely place at times and you're under a microscope you see in the Premier League David De Gea world class keeper makes one mistake and everyone starts saying he's not good enough anymore and stuff like that would you be personally hard on yourself if you made a mistake or if you thought you could do better with a goal and now, in, in my opinion, no one action ever determines an outcome of the match. So when people say, you know, if someone gets a goal or a pint at the end, they won it. Well, it's all the work that was done beforehand. But would you be tough on yourself?
1: Uh, yeah, you, I suppose you'd have to be famous. Um, the biggest thing, I suppose, is if you do, personally, like if you make a mistake in a game, is try wipe it as quick as possible out of your mind. Like, um, I probably would have had a team, say, when I started in there first, that if I had made a mistake and I made plenty of them and still do, like, you know, there's, geez, there's nobody perfect, like, but, um, try wipe it as quick as possible. When I was younger, I suppose, until I started getting in, say, panels with Waterford, like, just, with more itself, like, I, I would have, say, kind of nearly tried to get the ball out away from me as quick as possible, you know, after conceding the goal, like, from a mistake or dropping the ball into the net or, you know, rather than, kind of gathering myself and, you know, get the next ball and try make it as perfect as possible. Like, um, yeah. and I think, I, I don't know, it's probably with experience as well, like, you know, over the years that I, I find that I'm after improving on that, like on a personal level. But you ask any goalkeeper, I suppose, now that it's probably the next one is more important than the one that just did past you, like, you know, so, and just oh, you, you kind of have to, you kind of have to Keep yourself grounded and just wipe it as quick as possible and then, you know, get yourself set and start to play again. And I suppose it's, know, a, hope it doesn't happen again.
0: it's a famous saying in the GAA, the next ball is all that matters, that the, the previous one is irrelevant at that stage. Yeah. Oh, Which absolutely. You, like it. You mentioned, I'm interested to see because there's a couple of different topics that I want to cover on, on this week's I Love My Club by. And the reason why I wanted to get you on is because you're quite a unique player in the sense of You've been involved with Waterford, but you've also had a bit of a, I suppose, not medical issues in a sense, but a medical condition was discovered in, in 2014. Can you talk a little bit what happened and when you started to notice things were happening to you?
1: Yeah, um, so um, most people that know me now um, know that I'm a, a type 1 diabetic. Um, so back in 2014, it would have been the winter months of 2014. Um, I started losing weight. Now, I would have struggled with weight growing up. Um, always would have had an extra couple of pounds on me. Um, but weight kind of started falling off me. And I wasn't trying to lose it at the time. And uh, constantly dehydrated, Seamus. Um, I was drinking between 8 and 10 litres of water a day. Jesus. And that was, just, that was just water. Like, that wasn't, say, my teas, my coffees, milk mm-hmm. or say a fizzy drink or Lucas said Sports or whatever no that was just water itself like that was the only thing I was kind of tracking and uh, constantly going to the toilet so any liquids that I was putting in was just flushing out um, so I could be waking no exaggeration of maybe seven, eight, nine times in the night time to go to the toilet just constantly dehydrated then as well so it was it would have been January 2015 then um I was at home and mother said mother said to me, um, Oh, you don't look well or whatever. And she obviously noticed it no more than I did. I didn't take any notice of it, but I knew yeah. there was something not right. So I went to my GP because my mother basically told me go to the GP. So um, a good Irish mammy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um I was lucky in a way that she did like, but I went to my GP and you know, he asked me what he could do or whatever, and I was just telling him what was going on. And it was going on for about four months at this stage, like which was fairly severe. Like, and mm. uh, he said, I better check your test blood sugar levels. You know, uh, you seem to have symptoms of being a diabetic, so like at the time, I hadn't a clue what diabetes was, or yeah, you know, what it affected, or how it was there, or whatever. So he checked my sugars anyway, and they were a normal person, as you call it, would between four and ten uh on the scale like but when he tested mine mine were forty eight like so Jesus. they were they were um dangerously high um so he told me straight away ring my mother and click me at the, the doctor's surgery like and straight up to COH and car and I spent uh eight to ten days inside there. Like I can remember definitely eight days anyway and went through tests or whatever and yeah, they diagnosed me with type 1 diabetes, so... What was going I through haven't... your
0: head, yeah, what was going through your head when you, like, when you're told to ring your mother, you know, like, obviously you go to a yeah. doctor, you have a chest infection, you're told to take an antibiotic and so on, but to be told to get collected and be brought straight
1: down to Cork and then spend 8, 10
0: days, what was going through your head at the time?
1: Being honest about it, I didn't really, I actually didn't really think much of it, because as I said, I didn't really know, like, the seriousness of diabetes, like, you know, obviously if it's not treated or whatever. So, Mm. um, on the other side of it, my mother was fairly panicked at the time because like, again, she didn't know much about it. Only that I was going up to A&E in Cork with a letter to, to say that my blood sugar levels were extremely high. like, so, um, arrived and again, straight in, got put onto a bed straight away and hooked up to a load of fluids to, to hydrate my body. And, Bring down my blood sugar levels to a normal level as quick as possible because, Mm. um, the first, yeah, that was probably the first night I went up, that's all they were doing. But when the doctors came in the following morning, they kind of hit home a small bit that they couldn't understand how I didn't go into, say, a diabetic coma. And I kind of realized then, geez, this is very serious, like, you know, that I could have been in a coma. So they said they basically told me the only reason I didn't go into it was say that I would have been fairly active with training, Mm. and my sugar levels were just dropping enough during training sessions to keep me out of a coma as such, like, so... Yeah. um, You're very lucky. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Very lucky, Seamus. Um, But, yeah, this year now is my seventh year, just generally gone, uh, having type 1 diabetes, like, so... And
0: is that it's a condition go you'd in. always... That's what i going to say. Is it a condition you'd always have type 1
1: diabetes? Oh, yeah, yeah. Never never get rid of it. Like, there's no cure. There's no explanation to why I got it. Just my pancreas failed, and that's the, the end result of it. Just have to be with it as best as possible.
0: And would you have to... You'd have to inject then, do
1: you? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm on uh, insulin um, every day. So every time I have a meal... I inject, so, um, yeah, needles and needles and more needles. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, we can say then
0: you don't have a fear of needles at this stage. I, know,
1: um, I don't more. I used to, all right, but
0: <laughs> I've no choice now. And you have a couple of tattoos as well, so I don't think you've that much of a fear of needles, if I'm being honest. Um, no, 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 no. The the other point that I'll bring you back today, are just in touching base with that story, the your training and obviously it must have affected you because you did pull out at the time you were on the War for Senior Panel if I'm correct
1: yeah um, so it was back in 2013 when I got brought into the panel first Mike Ryan uh, brought me in and uh, introduced me into the War for Senior Panel I was doing my leaving cert at the time and uh, uh, I suppose my mother wasn't too keen on the the idea of it but which um, are obviously, like, growing up, that was all you ever wanted to do, I suppose, was get involved with Waterford, like, at, the, at that level, like, so I was obviously going to go and uh, get involved, so he, he asked me to come down to two training sessions in the week, uh, Tuesday and Friday night, so I went down, and, yeah, I was I was on the panel all that year, and the following year, then, Derek McGrath came in, and that's the year that say the diabetes came into it Mm -hmm. and I physically couldn't, couldn't train properly. Like, you know, obviously at that level, there was no way, like it was a new, say a new condition for me, like to to try regulate my blood sugars. And I suppose the intensity of the training and and that I wasn't used to, um, you know, like between getting low blood sugars from say the intensity of the train and then stepping out and having, I bought of Lucas Aid to bring them back up and then you're still weak probably a half an hour later and you're trying to you know go back into training again and it just you know it was impossible for me at the time anyway
0: Was so. it a tough tough decision to step away like you said it's something every young fella and young girl you know to play camogie or play hurling which are your, your county it's, it's such a privilege not many of us get to do it but was it a tough decision for you or was it a case of health as well you just had to go with it
1: Ah, well it was like but I was kinda I was fooling myself as well, telling myself that you know I could do both at that early stage of having diabetes. Like, no, it was it was probably a no brainer at the end of it, like because I was probably wasting my time and wasting the management time really, like, you know, the time that I was spending out, say from the training field, like because of it. So I suppose like getting my sugars and my health as best as I could was probably top priority at that time yeah and then uh, like I never stopped say training with Lisboa and that's not to say that the intensity of the training with Lismore was you know a big drop off or whatever but um, I still would have had episodes and still do have episodes of training say with the club or whatever that you, know, you might hit a, a low blood sugar there in the middle of training like but mm. um, step away and just get a, a sugary drink and get it into me as quick as possible and um. yeah wait till I'm stable again and just go back into training again but I'm kind of blessed in the way that I do play in goal I suppose Um, in that sense like no because like say the intensity of the game you know I can have my bottle of glucosate in the goal or my glucose yeah. deep, glucose tablets and the whole lot inside the goal with me that if I did ever feel I was dropping off or whatever like it's not as if I'm going to have to run off the side of the field and go into the dugout and get a drink or whatever. Like, you know, I have all that with me inside the goal. like So it's kind of handy that way, I suppose. And do you think,
0: like, with your preparation, then obviously, like, we're, we're in uh, the start of February here now and most clubs are back pre-season now. And, of course, Ballygunner are playing this weekend in the All-Ireland Final. Do you think,
1: not that, would you be able to play outfield, Sean? Ah, yeah, geez. I would. Now I would. Um... Now, have I any interest ever doing it? I'd absolutely, <laughs> I'd absolutely have, I'd say. Um, completely different fitness levels than that. Um, yeah. But, like, not having played out the field ever, like, the transition from the goal out the field, I don't think I'd have. It's not that I wouldn't have the, the touch or being able to handle the ball, but, like, the speed of doing things is just, you know, there's no comparison whatsoever. Like, you know. And it's mad, it's mad, boy.
0: It's mad sorry, it's mad when you look at old Murphy, like Scraggy plays centre back for his club.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you but know, I, you, t- you take him, like he probably would have played most of his holding out the field before he transitioned into goal We can any like you know with the weight as well playing Fitzgibbon out the field and Saki in the goal, like you know, yeah, he would have had some experience out the field, whereas I have absolutely zero <laughs> whatsoever, like. I think Clinton Hennessey
0: is the same. Clinton Hennessey played outfield in Fred Moore as well. He did actually, yeah, he did. Yeah, away, yeah. So. There's, a, there's a few guy because our own, our own keeper here in my own club, of course, Eddie Lynch, Eddie. Um, yeah, yeah, Eddie, myself, and Eddie would actually been the two keepers the whole way up on rage, and Eddie would have been outfield, and I would have been on goal. And then when it came to about sixteen, seventeen, Eddie went on the goal, and I went out the field. Now <laughs> I don't, I don't know if that was a tactical decision. Um. Or was Eddie Eddie not... I wouldn't say not good enough because I think Eddie's probably one of the fittest keepers in Waterford. He's in serious condition. But um, maybe it was on my behalf that I was letting in too many goals or they thought, you know what, <laughs> we'll just throw me in corner forward to get away with it see what happens.
1: <laughs> but
0: uh, look, I, I haven't looked back, you know. And I, I still... Um, obviously with the podcast now, it's, it's a little bit harder with time and stuff, but I always try to get back to the club in any way that I can. But uh, playing on goal, I think... It takes a certain breed of, of fella, a, a guy I work with. He's from Kilkenny and he often says it to me. If you play on goal, you're absolutely nuts. That's a, that's how he takes it. Now, when I look around the club scene in Waterford and I look at the keepers, he's not far wrong, I can tell you.
1: No, that's that's the, the perception most people actually have and always have, regardless of what sports you're playing. They always kind of say that, oh, goalkeeper, yeah, you're half-half like So... Well, if you think I about it,
0: know, like, it true? You, you, you could have a ball coming actually. Like we, I remember we were doing a bit of testing there a couple of years ago in, um, in one of the centers, and like you can hit the ball eighty to ninety miles an hour easily.
1: Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt. I remember my first. I think it was my first year with Lismore playing senior, and we actually played passage, and Juan Kelly got a penalty. Well, mother, <laughs> divine God, Almighty, I didn't even see it. Straight in over my head, it I mean. I'll,
0: and I'll, just
1: oh my God.
0: I'll tell you a good one because Eddie Lynch made his debut that day. It was out and kill, and uh, Dan was just after being named hurler of the year previously and obviously he got, I think, seven or eight goals on the bounce <laughs> and uh, it was Eddie's debut and Eddie was in on the goal and Noel was on Dan and Dan was walking in and uh, Eddie was only telling me recently Dan just looked at him, smiled and winked and Eddie was like, Jesus <laughs> Christ! We're here. Here we go. First game. It's <laughs> so quite a quite a, an introduction. Yeah, and oh, yeah, I, absolutely. I, I can vouch because I remember when Kelly joined ourselves first, and uh,
1: yeah.
0: we were we were in a minor final playing against Bally Gunner at the time, and uh, I was on the gold for the minor team, and I wasn't old enough to play adult hurling, but I was playing the minor. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my uncle thought it'd be a great idea to get Kelly to take penalties on. It um oh, and that was when kelly was at his his like kelly was only oh. what 24 yeah, yeah. 25 then like and uh he hit me with one of them and i, I, I ran oh. off the goal i wouldn't go back <laughs> on the goal he caught me in the tie and i was crying i was actually crying like and my uncle said to me, but if you could stop that. I said, I didn't stop it. He hit it at me. <laughs> <laughs> there was no technique one there. Like.
1: You had no choice.
0: You had no choice. <laughs> like. and I think that's why people have a perception of keepers being a bit mad because you remember Saki, the famous incident when Anthony Nash, obviously the oh, rule
1: was changed. Unbelievable, like, yeah, unbelievable.
0: Like Saki was literally five, yeah. If he was any closer, Nash would have hit him with the hurley, let alone the slitter.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And don't I don't know.
0: I don't know about you. Obviously, since you're playing, the helmet regulations are in. Imagine playing on goal with no helmet a couple of years ago.
1: Oh, uh, forget about it. Not <laughs> a hope. Not you, a hope like you're you're not talking about. The
0: oh man, the way it like the way the slitters are hitting it is the way the slitters travel. You take back yeah, your debut a against passage. You imagine you no helmet and Kelly's hitting that ahead of it.
1: Oh uh, no, forget about it. Not
0: a hope. <laughs> it's a it's mad how you know like. You can look at certain aspects of the game and how it's changed and stuff. But I think the thing that never changes, regardless of what age you are, um, is the passion for the game. And like I said earlier on, you seem to be fairly positive and you've been in the Waterford scene um, underage and at senior level. And of course, you won an intermediate not so long ago with your own club, which must have been a special, a special
1: day as well. Yeah, that was, that was probably the, say the highlight of say my memories with Liz Moore so far. Um, it was my first adult, I suppose, uh, medal with Lismore. We won a, a few, or we won the Sergeant Cup, I suppose, my first year, but um, to win a county and a monster final with Lismore was unbelievable, like, at intermediate level, but, no, it was, it was some experience now. So it was a great year.
0: Ah, look, you see, you see the weekend just gone, Munkhain winning. I, I always say it, no matter what grade you win at, it's something special because, like, even from my own playing days, like, I would have, my first-year adult, we won our first-ever uh, junior title, and uh, we were on before Ballygunner, actually, were playing the county final after us. And I remember thinking, at that stage, like you said, you won the Sergeant Cup uh, in your first year at Lismore, you're thinking, gee, sure, we will just win something every year?
1: Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't, like, we got relegated, obviously, the year before we won the intermediate, and that was probably one of the lowest points. And then to go straight back up senior and to get to an all the semi-final, you know with the same group of fellas that got relegated the year before was you know it was unbelievable it was some experience now
0: and I suppose in in GA and in life in general like yourself with the, the medical condition and the type 1 diabetes in order to experience highs you have to have lows at times oh definitely
1: uh definitely um I experience them now probably on a weekly basis with the disease <laughs> highs and lows but, <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, know uh, uh, it's it definitely makes the the good days better. Like after having a low, and then when you get a high day, say winning something with the club, like it is, it's unbelievable. It is it definitely it definitely makes it worth it. it definitely makes it worth.
0: It. Yeah, and and with that, what what I'm looking to raise a, a bit of awareness about because I think we can never do enough on it is mental health within the GEA and. Recently, of course, we had a, a new manager come in in our own club, and his attitude towards mental health, I must say, is just outstanding. Do you find that in recent years, you know, you spoke about Michael Ryan, and then you had Derek and, of course, you've Joxer, who's a very famous coach in your own club. Do you find that uh, Dave Bennett has done a lot of coaching that the old guard attitude before, and it's not their fault; it was just a culture thing. But do you think managers nowadays they're more about player welfare, and like you said? you could be having a bad day you go training someone gives you a bit of a you know I have a great relationship with our keeper and you have a bit of a slagging and stuff like that do you think mental health attitude has changed in the GA in recent years?
1: Uh, definitely Jesus James as I said like earlier there's no comparison really from say go back 20 years ago and as you said there it's not their fault it just wasn't highlighted enough I suppose um, back then whereas now I feel even as you spoke there about the old guys like thereafter adapting to this whole mental health thing now like and how important it is like as you said like though know, you go to the field there and you're not really feeling getting flogged around the pitch there for an hour and a half or whatever these you no know, this time of year like it's it's not easy like but I just feel that management and selectors are more aware of say fellas had a tough day in work or you know they just need a break you know I just I feel it's it's definitely it's definitely in a better place now than it ever was and it probably will improve again and hopefully it does like no but it's probably credit to to everybody that does get involved and you know highlights their issues and speaks openly about it like it does help everybody else around them like
0: of course in a a sense it normalizes it and and one of those people probably the most high-profile GEA player in recent years was of course your very own Mara Shanahan who spoke very bravely and very honestly about his issues and struggles with mental health. And I think what that does for a younger generation, it shows them that even, like, and let's call a spade a spade, Morris is an outstanding hurler, you know, he a big, massive profile inter-county, that if someone that they put on a pedestal that they see as a hero can have low days and, you know, not feel so good, it, it must give younger people such a boost to say, well, actually, I feel like that sometimes, and it's okay because Morris feels like that.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like and um Morris is like prime example, I suppose, for me, because you know, being a, a teammate in that, but um for him to speak out as much as he does and how he does it, like it's it's definitely credit to himself and to go through what he has been through and got out the other side, thank God. Like, but as you said there, like that will affect say younger people, girls and boys, that some days that they're not gonna feel okay and just to know that it is okay not to be okay sometimes and just to be able to speak out about it. And it's probably the best decision they will ever make is if they do speak out about it. So, you know, it's a credit to to Morrison in that sense. like so.
0: And hopefully, of course, there's player welfare officers in at inter-county level. And I'm hoping, you know, you start to see it being rolled out at club and that there'll be another initiative where... You know, I was talking to someone recently and they said with soccer you have an over thirty fives. Um, now I'm not calling you old because you're in around my age, so I'm not gonna say you're you're coming to oh, anyone <laughs> you have a few years on the edge. <laughs> Jesus, don't be saying that now. But especially like <laughs> with your position, you you could play into your forties if you wanted to. But there is um, I suppose a conception of outfield players, especially nowadays, that you see in the county players retiring at twenty nine and thirty. And it's getting shorter and shorter in the lifespan.
1: Yeah, but yeah.
0: I, I think we need to introduce more of a social side I know there was a pilot down in Cork recently where you have an over 35s league now I know some people would say you have junior A junior B junior C but junior A junior B and junior C is for fellas come to career and young is being bled in and we need more yeah. and more competitions to bleed young is in but I think we should have a separate league just a social element even if they just train they don't even have to play games just to keep people involved
1: Oh definitely like even there I know it's you're saying the over 35 league or whatever, but even say the social aspect of going up and getting flogged around the field at this time of year with the lads and your dread that going up, but then the chat, 10 minute, 15 minute chat afterwards, makes the, the hour and a half definitely worth it. Like you know what I mean? The social aspect of it. So I definitely think say for fellas that can't really commit to say a full-time training two or three times a week that maybe once a week or once on the weekend that They could meet up, have a few pucks, and maybe a tennis side game or whatever it is like just to get them out and get them involved, I suppose, after they finish, say, playing, say, at a high level, or no, just to keep them socially involved with the club or different clubs. And no, it's definitely something that should be looked into.
0: And like on that side as well, you, you mentioned you play against different clubs and different teams, and it's one thing that I find regardless, you know, I done a, a the podcast last week in the River Cottage, and it was with Ballygunner on the preview of the All-Ireland And As a passage man going in, you know, you kind of have your back all small, know, yeah. you're, you're wondering <laughs> what's going to happen here, but like, I, I've, I've experienced it myself with tragedies in the village over the years, and you know, the Ballygunners yeah. were the first people to be there, and you know, um, see if they could do anything, and I suppose that's one of the unique things, and like, whether, if I played you in the morning now and we had a disagreement or there was a bit of a fight, it always, when you go off the field, it's always dropped. And I think that's a great thing within the g a the, the friendships that you make.
1: Oh, no, definitely. That's that's probably the best thing about it, is the friendships you make. Like, you know, like being involved in inter-county teams underage and adult level. Like, you know, I'm not involved anymore, whatever, but Jesus, I'd still, I'd still have good friends that are involved with Waterford at the moment, like and in previous years and hopefully years in the future as well. Like, you know, it's it's definitely you know, you you have it out on the pitch, you know, playing club championship with like Jesus, shake hands after the game and you could meet him below in Dungarba for a pint or whatever, or down in Waterford for a point. Like, you no, know, there's no issue. Like just drop the drop the argument that had, that was had out in the field or the disagreement and on you go. Like, you know, you move on. It's it's definitely a good thing about the GA.
0: And with that, another thing I'm looking to highlight here, and I suppose it's been brought to my attention the last couple of years because I've gotten a lot of exposure to it, is respect within the GAA and not just towards players but referees. You look at rugby and you have the captain's approach and the respect, there's no cursing or anything like that. Do you think that could be looked at within Harland specifically itself, the, the tone that's used at officials? Because... The way I look at it is if you make a mistake on the goal, your manager's going to tell you head up next ball and so will your teammates you'll probably tell yourself. Whereas a referee makes one mistake everybody gets on top of the referee.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Like, there's always room for improvement then. Like, (laughs) I suppose I would have had a couple of run-ins with referees over the years too but then like at the end of the day there's one man in the middle and there's 30 players around him. You know, he's bound to make a mistake at some stage. You know, 60-70 minutes like you're going to have an error but um, yeah I suppose when you take rugby and have a look at that like you know they have huge respect I suppose for the referee and the referee gains a lot of respect from all the players like you know there's no such thing as speaking out of turn or what the referee says goes and you know being honest about it I suppose it probably could be looked at and probably uh, implemented Implemented, yeah, more in, in hurling, like, and in GA football as well, like, you know, but whether it's something that they will look into, I don't know, but they definitely deserve, say, more respect than what they get. Like, I've I done a couple of underage games <laughs> there two, three years ago, and my God, like, I wouldn't, there's no way i go back and do it again, like, got yeah, I've done it previously, you know, I've
0: done a young whistler's course, and i actually done a bit of refereeing, and I just, I couldn't do it with the abuse.
1: Not, there's no way I would like, I don't know how they do it with 30 grown men. And when I mean, you do an underage game, like, you no, know, it's not the children, it's the parents. It's like, the parents, I mean? it's but, always the parents, yeah. <laughs> but then, you know you go to an adult game and you have 30 grown men or women and they're, <laughs> it's they're not as polite. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, like, I, I think some of the,
0: the aspects we could look at changing is take away the timekeeping from referee. Um, you know what every senior and intermediate and junior game, I think this championship is usually four officials. There's someone usually controlling yeah. the scoreboard. Take the score and responsibility away. A referee shouldn't have to write a score down, run out sixty yards, get back with play. You take away the time and the score element. The referee can see a lot more.
1: Oh that's that's a great idea, to be honest. That's actually a very good idea. And it it leaves them referee the game. It gives them more time to make a decision. You know what I mean? They don't have to be worrying about how long, you know, was the game stopped? I need to add on time, you know, looking at the scoreboard, as you say, taking down the score and say, potentially, I have a puck out and the ref is not ready. And, you know, slows the game down. Yeah, you know, so that's definitely something they should look into.
0: And then... The one one thing that I have notes here and something that's after catching my attention is something you spoke about earlier and it's something I've always struggled with in sports is you spoke about weight issues um, and of course the the famous two Johnnies now uh, of course Johnny Sparks yeah, yeah. Played, played minor football for Tipperary and he talked about wearing a black sack to lose weight and wrapping himself in cling film because he was told he'd shed two stone for the county team and obviously with jerseys nowadays, everything I can tell you from experience, everything is getting more and more fit, right? And keepers
1: that's a too.
0: <laughs> like years ago, a keeper, and this is no offense because I played on goal, you didn't have to be the fittest to play on goal. But like I said, no we, we had fitness testing recently, and I can tell you Eddie Lynch is up in the top bracket of our fittest players. And that's that's just the way the game is going. But do you like with the weight issues? Probably it ties in with mental health, but it's not talked about an awful lot in Ireland because you have a group of 30, 35 fellas on a panel. And like sometimes, if we're being honest, you get brought into a room and you all get weighed and the results are kind of public. You know, there's that, that a
1: shame inside to that. Oh, there is, definitely. Um, as I said, I would have struggled big time with it, Say when I was younger or whatever, but um, I'd say last year was probably the first year that I properly went to Boat to know keeping the weight off as such like on a personal level like but say for kids there growing up like you're not always going to have 15 20 30 young kids like that are all going to be in great shape like you know what I mean like Mm. getting under 12s under 13s to be wearing these skin tight jerseys like it's I think it's completely wrong and that's only that's only my own opinion like obviously there's Expertise opinions gone into it, like you know, to say that oh, tight fit is definitely the way to go. You can't be grabbing the jerseys and this and that, but like Jesus, for a 12 and 13 year old young fella or girl to be put into a tight fit jersey, there and you know, you have that extra bit of um, of course, you're, you're coming into you. teenage like, you know, years is and is, you're like, growing, yeah, like you know, it's 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 normal, like but um, I think it's um, how would you say? It's kind image. of been overlooked by, yeah, like it's just you have to fit into this jersey, like, or else, you know, you're kind of a an outcast as such. Like, yeah, like, I, I, even if I Jesus, if I had <laughs> the best physique in, in Lismore on the team, like, I actually still have a preference not to wear a tight fit jersey, like, right, I would often just wear a, a loose, a loose fit jersey, like, always, yeah. I just find it more comfortable. Like, you know that much, that bit more freedom inside them. Like, mm. you know, that's only my preference. Like, but like you look at the Belly Hill jerseys, they're not tight fit. No, they're
0: traditional.
1: To any traditional jersey, like you know. Now I'm not saying that's like everyone should go back to you know loose with jerseys, whatever. But you know, I, I I like the fact that they don't. They're different. You know what I mean? They're they're different from everybody else. Like, I think, but
0: more conversations like that, like this will highlight it because you know, I, I have no problem speaking about it. I still struggle with my weight a lot. and um, I, I constantly am watching what I'm eating and training. Um it, it's a part to me that I like I was even in the gym this morning and I'm I'm coming out and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm in okay shape and stuff. And then I, you know, you have your shower or whatever and you catch yourself in the mirror. And I've never yeah yeah I've never um been one to, you know, believe I'm in great shape. I constantly doubt myself i uh, constantly putting pressure on myself. You know, last year, I had a serious knee injury a couple of years ago and I dropped two and a half stone last year to try play Harlan. And looking yeah. back on it, it's yeah. the wrong yeah. thing to do almost.
1: Oh, I, I was in the exact same boat. The exact same boat. I'd be the same same mentality as that. Um, I lost, Jesus, 14 kilos last year. Jesus. And it was probably the best shape I, I was ever in. And then you're still doubting. You know, from previous experiences, like, of carrying that weight, you'd always kind of double-guess double yourself, like, no, am I in good shape, or can I be in better shape, or, you know, it's probably just from past, past experiences, like, but. I think there's a, a lot for the GEA to, to be said,
0: um, and I think, you know, the jerseys is one thing with the underage Games, and I think another element, which I'll be touching on on, on the podcast that I Love My Club by, is the fact I don't think scores should be kept in underage games. Um, You look at teams now, and I'm not going to pick out one club and say that they're dominating everything or say it's wrong, but I've watched games underage recent years where you see young fellas and young girls crying coming off the field because the score is so high that they've gotten bet by. And I think we have to have, again, we're talking about an over-35s or a social club, that if you want to have a first team, that's absolutely perfect. And The parents are well aware that if the kid's on the first team, they have to train, whatever, two or three times a week, and they're going to have to be relatively in shape. But I think we need to have, I wouldn't even call them B leagues or C leagues. I think we just have a league that's not competitive. You're still playing games. Everyone's included. You're allowed as many subs as you want, and you have no scorekeeping because there is a drop-off when it comes to about minor. You'll have a couple of lads. Now, it's not saying they're not a good hurler. Like you said, they might just not be in shape, and they might not – have the interests or they might not want to train three, four times a week, watch what they eat, don't drink alcohol and we need to include everybody because when we lose those people from the age of 18 and now Liz Moore is a lot bigger than Passage but I can tell you if we lost a couple of lads even, you know, to fill the junior A team, the junior B team, we'd struggle
1: in the adult side. Yeah, like where, jeez, I know you're saying Liz Moore is a lot bigger than Passage like, but numbers wise say involved with the adult team, isn't, you know, where it was, say, when I started, like, we had a a senior and an intermediate team and, you know, competitive in both grades, like, but there was a serious drop-off there uh, a good couple of years ago, like, we're, still have a senior team now and, say, a junior A team or junior B team, but, like, them lads now are training with us and if they weren't training, you know, we might have max 20 fellas at the field, you know, like, that's, for a senior club, like you know, you you probably need your thirty thirty two fellas at the field, and if if them junior lads don't come training, like you know, if it kind of takes away the the whole say the the aspect of having a, a big panel or you yeah. know like they are getting fellas involved, like and then what we were seeing in recent years was lads that were quite happy to say play the junior hurling. If it wasn't taken as serious, you know, they might. Train, they might not train, turn up yeah. their game. Um, they kind of felt that if they did go training with the senior team it was though it was too much you mm. know for what they wanted like you know there was no there was in no between. other option like for them like so um, it's probably something that can't be looked at. but then on the other side of it is, as I said, we don't have the numbers, we probably don't have the numbers like there's only a certain amount of clubs probably in the county or in the country even have. Enough to, to be able to say, right, there's your senior panel. You might have an intermediate panel and then you have a junior yeah. a junior panel as well. Like, you know, we wouldn't have that luxury. Like so.
0: Well, even if you it, had an, inter, an
1: inter-club league, like
0: where literally it could be a case of fellas that are coming to end your career or people that aren't necessarily, uh, you know, like if, especially in Ireland in recent years, we've had so many mixed nationalities living here that it might be a case of instead of saying Passage versus Liz Moore, it would just be East versus West. And it could be more of a way to to generate people into the GA and get more people involved because it is very, I know from speaking to people that they feel it's very exclusive in a sense of when you go and you see them 15 lads, 20 lads on the senior team and they're in serious condition and you have your junior A's, your intermediates and not that it's any less, it's not, it's just it's the speed of the game is what I believe is the difference. But you see it and they're like, I want to play for Liz Moore, but both their teams are way more advanced than I am. They're way
1: more physically fit. I can't play any harder. Yeah, no, like that's that's definitely a fair point to make. Like, no, like as you said there, Phil, it's coming to the end of their career that they might feel that they could play for another year or two, but obviously at a, a slower grade, like as as you put it, like, no, the pace of the game is obviously a lot higher at senior intermediate level. But like if there was a league, as you said, it might only be East versus West. Like, there's not, not that many clubs in Waterford, like, you know, that people could maybe once a week, you know, have a game or even inside Yashiro, blowing WIT or. Exactly. Just something, something like to that, come like together clubs.
0: that have always had of an interest, but were kind of not daunted, but nearly intimidated to join the club.
1: Yeah, like, that's probably the word to have, I suppose, is intimidated. Like, because it probably is intimidating for some people. Like, and as you said there, like, you know, there's a drop off at minor level. For most clubs, most clubs would have, Though know, you could have maybe 25 lads playing underage and then when it comes to adult level, like you might only get maybe eight or nine of them that would stay playing. And you're kind of wondering why, now obviously lads just lose interest as well, but like the intimidation, I suppose, of going into an adult team for a 16, 17 year old is, you no, know, it's high. You know, maybe there was something like else put in place that they other 10 or 15 lads, you no, know, we want to play at a lesser level or a slower level, you know.
0: And I was, I was involved in coaching last year. Um, I was a selector and I kind of trained the junior B team. We're very lucky now. We have three adult teams um, at the moment. And I was a selector with the junior B team. And we got bet against Ballygunner in the quarterfinal in Ballygunner, And their manager said after, and it's the first time I ever really heard anyone say it, he said, the most important team in a club is not your first team. If you have two teams, your second team is the most important. If you have three teams, your third team. Because like you said, if 30 lads in the junior B go train and 10 of them go to the junior A and they have the numbers then for trainer to play an in-house match and then 10 lads off the junior A or the intermediate go to the senior and they're at a level where they can play both. Like, it's all about inclusion and there I think there's a role for everyone in the club whether you're good at finance or you want to do secretary work or fundraising. Like, there's a, there's a place there for everybody and I think... And senior, look, senior is the pinnacle. Don't get me wrong. We, we both know um, that senior is the be-all and end-all. But I think we need to really hammer home that there is a place for everybody.
1: Oh, definitely. like, And I know you're saying like the senior level is the be-all, end-all. But it, like, if you actually look at the, the intermediate championship in Warford, like it's actually probably more competitive in recent years, I think, on a personal level, from watching, say, the West anyway. like I haven't probably seen much of the Eastern competition, but the Western Intermediate is is very competitive. Like, you know, there's not much between any of the teams.
0: Yeah, the western you know, is so savage in
1: fairness, yeah. At that, at that grade, like, you know, so, you know, as you said, like, there's definitely room for everybody within the GA. Like, you know, as you said, like, you know, people are good at fundraising. They mightn't have any interest in playing the game. But, like, for finances and organising and all that kind of stuff, like, you know, there's definitely room for everybody.
0: And in, in recent times with with COVID, of course, the, the magical word that everyone has fed up of hearing over the last two years and a bit, um, the GA has had a massive role. And, of course, I see Liz more as a country club, the same as my own club passage. And we play such a, a pivotal role in getting people out of the house, whether it's going to games or going up to watch training and the buzz that comes around when the draw is made this year and pre-season comes. We don't realise, I suppose the outlet it gives people. And like that, we're saying about inclusion. Like, it must be great for yourself when you see kids up training in the field or they're coming to your matches and they're talking about the buzz leading forward to quarterfinal, semifinal, to see the effect that it has. Because it's only when you're older you start to notice how much, um, I suppose, we play a role in our communities.
1: Oh, definitely. Um, definitely. Like, as I said there earlier, that you know with the games being streamed live, and giving people the option to actually watch the game live. That's, you know, say for the older people uh, of Lismore or Passage or any club team, like, you know, they're getting the option to actually see the game on television rather than having to maybe travel and they mightn't be physically fit enough to go to the game. But the fact that it was on and they're not missing out on anything, you know, they can see what's after happening. You know, they might go down to the pub, they might meet somebody in the shop. Oh, Jesus, did you see... X, Y, and Z happening and you know, they're they're included in that thing's like, you know. And then
0: that's like and that's been well highlighted with mental health issues. And I think that's why we, we have a massive part to play in the mental health. The another thing we'll we'll look forward to um is the coming year's championship. And we hope I hope myself to have a couple of shows leading into it. Uh what's the what's the ambition for Liz Moore personally for yourself and for Liz
1: Moore overall this year? Um, I suppose go a step further than last year is the obvious one. Um, a quarter final last year, um, like obviously every club team in Watford is there to try and beat Belly Gunner. There's no fighting beating around the bush, but um, I think it's step by step, uh, game by game for us is the big thing this year. Um, nothing too complicated. As I said, like Belly Gunner is obviously the, the pinnacle mark. of Water Hurl at at the moment, like and they're in all ireland final this weekend. And best to look to them in that as well. Obviously. Um I fancy him to win as well. Um but no, just just for us this year, I'd say famous is just to get um get an extra step further this year and uh hopefully improve on some of our performances from last year. That's probably it. And who, the draw, of course,
0: has been made. Who did you get for, for the, the group this year?
1: Yeah, so we have Rowan Moore um, and Dunhill. So, you so, so, would have faced Rowan Moore in the quarterfinal. You'd be looking to get a bit of a point. Yeah. Ah, Hopefully, hopefully. Uh, we own one or two now. They're, they're after <laughs> Venus the last three or four years now in a row. Like, so, yeah, um, I, uh, I look forward to that one anyway.
0: And Dunhill, our, Dunhill, our backup senior, of course. Um, I've watched them a lot in the intermediate championship the last couple of years, so they'll be coming up, you know, with high hopes and hoping they can make an impression senior.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, there'll be no pushover either. Um, he likes the you Niall know, Herney and Shane Casey as well, I'm actually working with the two lads inside Junior in GSK at the moment as well. Like, so that'd be interesting when that comes around as well.
0: <laughs> of course, you have Aim and Speedy as well. He's there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, there'll be there'll be no joking. As you said, like they'll be up to. So hopefully stay up for, their, for themselves like, and prove a point that they belong up in senior like So I know it'll be interesting. There's no easy easy group um, this year. So
0: Yeah, and especially with the format after changing now that everybody goes through the top out of each group and then there's a preliminary uh, quarter final, as you call yeah, it. Yeah. Um, I suppose in one sense... We, we, I say we, um, uh, I need to be completely, uh, I love my club is is not affiliated with Passage <laughs> at all, it's, it's purely my baby, but uh, Passage got the, the group of debt they're calling it, Delasal and Bally yeah. tough, tough one for Passage.
1: Yeah, yeah, but then you have to take into account that, like, Delasal were in relegation last year as well, you know, so they'll be there to prove a point and get back to their best as well, like, so... um. It better ye than, than us in that group. In the AKM, <laughs> <what I'm>
0: <laughs> and then, look, looking at the clubs, you know, the last couple of years, it's a question I, I put to everyone. Uh, who's the best club hurler you've ever played with?
1: Played with?
0: Yeah, with Liz Moore itself.
1: Uh, Jesus, has to be has to be Morris. Uh, Morris Shannon, boy and boy. Jesus, yeah. he, he turns it on every day we play. Every day. <laughs>
0: His score and stats are just ridiculous. Like, I know. Uh, Buff Egan does a lot of coverage on the club scene, and like, Buff loves to come down and watch Liz Moore play. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like you see posts being put up. Mars Shannon scores one fourteen or fourteen pints. Like, personally, it's it's for another day, another topic. But I don't know how himself and Nola dropped into Watford. I think it was a travesty, given their experience. But Mars, like Mars, must be the most. Um, what would you say the most? Ruthless player every year, without fail, most consistent club player within
1: Waterford. Oh yeah, definitely. And not just because obviously he's my teammate and club or whatever, but geez, when you as you sit there and you look at the stats, like they're just they're off the charts every single year, like with the last ten years. You know, he's definitely been the most consistent club player in Waterford with the last ten years, Any, anyway, I think. And and especially
0: with the treatment he gets seems like he's
1: Oh, absolutely. He takes punishment. Yeah, he gives it too now, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably deserves some of it now, but um, I know I'll oh, jump aside, like, but his stats are they're crazy, like, and they're not slowing down anytime soon. So hopefully you now he can he can stay firing for us again this year. I I remember
0: one one uh, story we, we played ourselves a couple good few years back now. We were playing in Farfield and uh, we were actually I think you were giving us a trimmer. We we no, we were giving you a trimming, and you came back. We were hammering.
1: Sixteen
0: points. <laughs> he, he came back, and uh, Morris got a free from about I'd say ninety yards facing down the river goal. And uh, I was corner forward, and I was told to go out and just abuse Morris before he took the free. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I went I went across. I tried I tried to to stand on the slitter. I called him a load of abuse. He put the ball over, and he just turned around. And he said, "Not today, kid." And I just like I mean like I literally Everything I could have said I said to him I was like Did you watch Coronation Street Just random stuff To try <laughs> to distract him And straight over Black spot. And I was like You know what You have to give him credit And credit's due Oh like.
1: uh, yeah geez. He, he thrives on that as well Like no So No he's definitely The best I've played with anyway So
0: And who, who On that note then Who be the best You played against In, in the club scene In Waterford? Oh
1: Jesus Um that's a tough one now, tough one.
0: Um, I suppose for you, it's probably going to be a forward, given the fact that you face forwards on a regular basis.
1: Yeah, look, there's not... Geez, I don't know, would, would there be any one, one player stand-up? Because, you know, for the simple fact that you, know, you don't play the same team year in, year out. Of course. Um, you'd have to give a mention, I suppose, to, to Ozzy and Jamie Varon, I suppose, would be probably the two... The two that I put up there. Um, yeah. now I face Dizzy Dizzy Lasher Jesus Christ. He's getting <laughs> he's getting he's getting better every game, like no. His speed is just slowing down at all. Oh my god, like he's his footwork is unbelievable, unbelievable now. So there wouldn't be one maybe in years to come, if I was asked the question, I probably I might have won one player that i pick, but at the moment I'd say there's not. But you'd have to look at Aussie Byrne and go on unless or Dizzy as well. Like so,
0: Very good. And then there's, there's two more uh, bits to the podcast that we're going to try and make sure we get everyone involved with. And one of them is looking at your own club, Liz Moore. Is there any young song hero within the club that you feel you know deserves a mention that maybe does a lot of work behind the scenes that's not known Around the county, but they'd be known in the club. Is there anyone like
1: that? You'd love to give a shout out to say the work that they do is brilliant, or is it a couple of people? Um Joe Tobin, I suppose. Um, probably the biggest character in Lismore. Um, a lot of people around the West of Water would know him. Um, he's a retired postman, but Jesus, like the the lift he gives people when he's around is just he's he's some character now. He's some character. And he does the water for us uh, with the last he's, he's there with 10 years I'd say any management team that comes in Joe is always the water boy as such and he probably drinks more than it than he hands out like, <laughs> <water>. <laughs> that's a different story like but uh, I know like Jesus even this time of year like if you were running around the pitch and you know, you're not feeling it and it, next minute Joe of come out with anything and you're just you could be bursting laughing there for fucking five minutes laughing at him like <laughs> But uh, I know definitely they're the fellas that kind of make it work. Wild, like you know what I mean? Of course. So.
0: and uh, with with that, we we've a quick fire round to, to finish off. Uh, just a, a couple of quick questions. I, I know from speaking to already what the first one's going to be. Clover County.
1: Uh, has be club, yes. it has to be club, it, I knew he'd I knew you'd say
0: that. Now, for any for anyone that doesn't know, myself and Shawnee used to we worked together briefly uh, <laughs> with with the with the famous Ned Power. And uh, David Sutton, both Mount Sinai and Della Sandman, and uh, there, there used to be a lot of music floating around the office. And sometimes I used to butcher songs you now. Before you get in there, but um, buys buys Westlife, Shawnee. Uh, Westlife,
1: James, all day long. And all you know what? Long.
0: As as and he will actually he puts it on Instagram, so I have no problem, ain't it? Ned Tower is the biggest Westlife fan in the world. He absolutely oh, loves, he loves
1: Westlife. Them. He loves them. <laughs> Um, Barry, Barry's tea or Lion's tea? James, is that even a question though? Is Lion's well, even a tea bag? But that's okay, <laughs>
0: see this how both of us a second name is Barry um, A blah or a roll? Uh,
1: I'd probably go with a roll
0: Do you know what? That's the, I, I wasn't going to say it but I will That's the cork coming out you know. You have to. That has to be the way, a the, to the county, the wish to the county, yeah. Huh? <laughs> um, well, then I suppose the next question I might have to tailor going forward for whiskas: Tramor or Dunmore? Ah, uh, Tramor. Tramore. Uh, the greenway or the fairway? Greenway. Greenway. Uh, Alfies or Elvries? Uh Elvries. Elvries, yeah, a few, a few people have gone with that. And uh, look, they're all the, the quick for questions. Um, I just want to say it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Um, I love your positive attitude out and with life and in sports in general. Like I said, you're always smiling when I see you. You've had your ups and downs with medical issues, and you spoke about your weight, you spoke very openly. And I want to thank you for that. And uh, I, I just think you spoke about Joe as a massive character within Liz Moore I think personally you're a massive character in Liz Moore keep doing what you're doing and I wish you all the best of luck for the coming season
1: thank you for being here, James. thanks for having me
0: wherever you're listening whether it be Ballyduff or Ballygunner Passage or Portlaw Dungarvan or Dunhill tune in to I Love My Club by the podcast that brings you closer to
1: camogie and hurling in the Waterford club scene don't forget Hurling is our passion